Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Mm-hmm. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, holy, and awesome. Thank you for this time together as your children in your house this morning. Let it be your love, grace, and mercy that is shared, accepted, and taken out into the world. Amen. Is it hot in here or is it just me? It's just me? Okay. <laughs> Amid these past few weeks of pastoral transitions, I have been reflecting on my own tenure here and the completion of my second full year of pastoral ministry at First United Methodist Church. From that reflection, it occurred to me that my entire experience with this church has been affected and impacted by construction. In fact, um, when I came to audition to be the band leader for this service in 2014, it was the first Sunday in May, and that also happened to be the same Sunday that you started your capital campaign for the steeple renovation. And in fact, the first song I ever sang in this church was the one we sang this morning. Working on a building. I went around, asked people what they were doing, got to Dargan, and then he had to try and explain whatever his job was, and it was a whole mess. But with all of that rolling around in my mind, and maybe just to satiate my own curiosity, I took some time this week, and I consulted the recently updated... 2018 version of First United Methodist Church's history. This has been kept current by the incomparable Miss Lillian Marsden, who was at the 830 service, and she didn't wave her hands around to correct anything that I said, so we're going to assume that what I'm preaching about this morning is correct. But I spent all week uh, about neck deep in this, and from my research, I found some interesting insights uh, to share with you this morning about your church. Specifically, God's work, both in this church and through this church. So here we go. It was in 1834 when the first Methodists were gathering in this area. And the spiritual formation and ministry of the people was guided and led by circuit riders who would travel around on horseback. You used to do this, right, Karen? Okay. 
They would travel on horseback. They would minister here and then in Scottsville and Lynchburg and other surrounding towns. But as the town of Charlottesville grew, the Methodists decided they needed a church, and the first station church was built, and it was the first Methodist Episcopal church, because John Wesley was an Episcopal minister, so there we go. First Methodist Episcopal church, they built it over on Water Street, which is close to where you're living now, Um, and it was begun in 1834 and finished three years later in 1837. A second church was built less than 25 years later, and it's called the Old First Methodist Episcopal Church South, which is quite a mouthful. But that was constructed between 1859 and 1867, but even in those eight years, they only completed the basement, and they had all their services there. We know what that's like. But it wasn't until 1888 that they renovated and completed the full church. So it was, uh, it was being worked on for, what is that, almost 30 years they're building this church? In 1888, the full church was completed, and they worshiped in the sanctuary. In fact, the pulpit in the chapel is from that church. Right? Learn something new here this morning. In 1891, so three years after that church was done, the Methodists of Charlottesville decided to build a whole separate church in Belmont, which we now know as Hinton Avenue United Methodist Church. And that building was completed seven years later in 1898. But even eight years after that, the senior pastor of the First Methodist Episcopal Church South, the Reverend Smart, began conversations with the congregation about building yet another church, which is the one that we're sitting in this morning. And the planning process and eventual construction of that church would last all the way until December of 1925. So, from our church history, it says that the early Methodists were builders. And I made a special note, duh. Um, But from their actions and choices, it says that First Church had spent a better part of a generation. And when you add up all the years, it's the better part of a century from 1834 to 1925, that's the better part of a century, building and paying for their churches. And even after 1925, construction on this church has continued with the addition of the Raphael painting in 1929. We had some Carolonic bells that were installed in 1944. I don't know if anybody remembers those. Um, We've had installation of multiple organs. There was fire damage in the 1950s. I've even seen the um, construction receipts and estimates from that, from the 1950s. Um, There were multiple renovation projects that have given us the air conditioning we are enjoying today. All of the audiovisual equipment, there have been new church entrances, bathrooms, and most recently, the million-dollar investment on our steeple and all of the external windows, roofing, and other items that is still going on today. I know, mercy. But my friends, from what I can gather in reading through this church history, I surmise that there have only been small pockets of time when something was not actively being worked on, paid for, or in planning process for future work. And that, to me is a beautiful thing. 
I say that because what I read in this history is that the Spirit of God was working in and amongst God's people, pushing them to be something greater, build something better, and create a physical place from which the kingdom of God would spring forth. Our location is not one where there was once a church and then a city was built up around it, but it is one where a city existed and God built a church. And those are different things. And inasmuch as the church has been physically built up, renovated, and restored, so too did I find evidence of spiritual development, where the people of God have been changed, transformed, rebuilt, and renovated. In writings by Thomas Jefferson, we learn that prior to the completion of even that 1837 church, many members of Charlottesville's religious community would worship together over in the courthouse. Jefferson wrote, In our village of Charlottesville, there is a good degree of religion, but with a small spice of fanaticism. <laughs> we have four groups, but without either a church or a meeting house, the courthouse is a common temple. One Sunday in the month to each group. Here, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Methodists, and Baptists meet together, and they join in hymning their maker. That was his language. They listen with attention to each other's preachers, and they all mix in society in perfect harmony. And this mixing of society and a harmonious living extended even beyond Sunday mornings and beyond ecumenical cooperation. It was later noted that even in those early to mid-1800s, the first Methodist Episcopal Church recorded that its membership roles, good Methodists that they are, they have lists of everything, contained both white and black members. Now, I did not see this statistical highlight recorded anywhere else, though, after the completion of the second church, the old First Methodist Episcopal Church South. And that, too, is in itself telling and informative. But such was the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that the members of this church were moved to extend the reach of the gospel through planting additional churches, which included, as I said, Hinton Avenue, but also the Wesley Foundation at UVA. There were many chaplains for the Wesley Foundation that were here and were the ministers here, and they would actually meet in a room called the club room somewhere here in the church. Let's assume it was this one. Um, but that also came from here. I would also note the powerful witness and ministry of the United Methodist women who throughout this church's history are on record for paying for college tuition, sending missionaries to China, Poland, and Liberia, which would have been a substantial trip in the 1920s. Um, one paragraph even read that the women, in their concern for mental health, supported various projects for the patient's at Western State Hospital, contributes substantially to the Blue Ridge House, were at one time providing meals for the boys' attention home, and they also provided bingo parties for the patients at the Blue Ridge Sanatorium. Mercy. They also made sure the shut-ins of the church were visited monthly, end quote. And that's really only the tip of the iceberg. The Monday Bread and Blessings ministry that happens here is as old as I am. Adults used to attend vacation Bible school instead of just help run it. 
Alex, I think that should be you this year. We used to gather with other churches in Emancipation Park on Palm Sundays. We sent missionaries and mission trips to Ghana, Japan, and now Haiti and Lithuania. A charity fair for nonprofits was even hosted here in the fellowship hall. I could go on with all the different things, but my point here is this. As people who claim to be all about God, we must also be about the work of God. And that's hard to do. It's hard to do because the work of God is transformational work. It requires a vision, money, time, and energy. It involves tearing things down in order to build them back up. That's resurrection work. And it can sometimes be scary and dangerous. It's a construction zone. But perfect love will cast out perfect fear. And as people who believe in the communion of saints, the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting, and as people who belong to a connectional church, we know that we do not do this work alone. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, those who have done this work before, and those who have set a cornerstone for us to build upon. So as I said, people who claim to be about God must also be about the work of God. So what does God do? Where is God going? How is God moving? If God does this or if God does this, then how do we as the children of God, as servants of God, the tangible presence, the hands and feet of God to this world, how do we respond, act, or join God in God's work? It's like, God is the project manager, the grand architect, and the site foreman. Because we've got to get the Trinity in there. All right. But we're all the subcontractors. We're the subcontractors who are in trying to interpret a very complex blueprint. You like this? And eventually, by consulting the blueprint, we might eventually be something greater. Build something better and create a physical place from which the kingdom of God will continue to spring forth. And just as a final point of clarity, this is something that happens every Sunday. Every time we gather in Bible study, when we come together to learn, worship, and serve. But sometimes it's just helpful to name it. And it is in that naming it when we gather as the body of Christ to check the blueprints together, that we hopefully see how all the pieces fit together. And so as we are doing this, and as we're hopefully coming to the end, you can see some of the scaffolding that was outside, but as we come to the end of uh, one of our physical construction projects, and what some of you might be hoping is the end of this sermon, I thought that Psalm 146 would give us the opportunity to check the plans, assess our progress, and determine what comes next. As people who claim to be about God, we must also be about the work of God. And Psalm 146, in my opinion, provides us with a pretty decent summary of what God does. And so as I read through these few verses again, I would invite you to reflect on how these blueprints are made manifest and tangible in both the life of our church and also in your lives as an individual. 
Are we joining God in God's work? Are we equipped with the necessary tools and information to work alongside the creator of heaven and earth? And if not, what more do we need? Here again is Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes and mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. And on that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, the God who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, the God who gives food to the hungry. It is the Lord that sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers, upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked God brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Now, I certainly don't want to miss what some preachers refer to as their landing spot in a sermon. But I got one last thing to share with you from the church history notebook. It was the first page that I turned to when I just blindly opened it up last week. And I like to think that occasionally the Holy Spirit messes with you um, and makes these things more apparent. So here it is. These are words from our church history that are written roughly 10 years ago by Bill Hall. Does anybody remember Bill Hall? He was the chair of the church council at the time. So I, was, I had just graduated from college roughly and been in the market for about a year or two. I don't know what y'all were doing. Uh, maybe finishing the sanctuary renovations at the time. I don't know. You're working on something. But Bill Hall wrote these words 10 years ago. It's in a section called Our Future. This is what he said. With an eye on the past, the congregation continues to seek new opportunities to extend its ministry of changing lives through Jesus Christ. One important initiative is underway is how First United Methodist Church might more effectively partner with the African American and Hispanic communities. Action groups have been formed to identify barriers and opportunities. First UMC will continue to be a community leader as we advance the cause for social justice, provide support to the poor and homeless, and challenge the community to embrace the diversity of its people and ideas. Our outreach will extend beyond our community borders as we carry out mission work in both domestic and international mission trips. In addition, as the church congregation grows, we must ensure our worship services, educational programs, and physical infrastructure keep pace. 
Even at current congregational levels, the church building is stressed to support all the various activities both on Sunday and during the week. First UMC must contemplate the future not in the next five to ten years, but in the next 25 to 30 years. And he names off some key issues that must be addressed. An aging baby boomer generation. Physical space to accommodate the needs of the congregation. I'm going to get an amen on the next one. Parking issues. <laughs> Ongoing maintenance and capital upgrades. And financial resources to support growth plans. That's 10 years ago. But Bill closes with this. This is what he said. However... First United Methodist Church does not face these opportunities alone. We are a body charged by God to carry out God's ministries. Our faith in God and our relationship with God gives us the courage, the strength, and the passion to fulfill the expectations that God lays out before us. So first UMC looks to the future with excitement and hope as we seek to further the ministries of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.